Hi, and welcome to The Healer's Couch, a podcast is dedicated to discovering the tools you need to uncover who you truly are. I'm your host, Sarah Prophet, and I'm going to guide you through tools and resources as well as introduce you to the leading edge of science, spiritual, and metaphysical truths, along with all my guests. Tune in and discover what life is like when your mind, body, and soul are in true alignment. Hi, and welcome to today's podcast. I am so excited today. So the recent interviews that I've been doing on the podcast and that you'll be hearing from people are people that I just have been interested in and have been interesting to hear about what they do, why they do, what got them on their path, like what is it that they do for people. And one of the people that I was thinking about and that reached out was Jackie, who is a licensed mental health counselor. And she works in a pretty specific area and it is working with men who are in a long-term recovery center that is really approached to a holistic wellness approach and really figuring out um, how to move through their trauma and how to move through anything that they had a chemical codependency on and really how does that affect them then and now and how do they move through that and that's really interesting to me but Jackie has so many other things that I want to hear from her and really how she got started on this path is one of the things that I'm interested in and I don't really know much about so welcome Jackie thanks Sarah it's great to be here with you today I'm so excited so my first question I always ask is what got you started on the path that you're on now yeah, that is a, that's a long answer and I will have to be happy to try to condense it. Um, I think like most of us who work um, in some type of healing role, like we ourselves were at one time pretty wounded. Um, so I would say um, that kind of just through a lot of, a lot of different experiences growing up um, and different like attachment wounding, which I um, hope to talk about a little bit more later because that really informs the work I do, but through my own attachment wounding, um, I struggled for a long time, uh, with a lot of things. And I think it was through coming into this idea that there's other options. Like there are other ways to live and there are other ways to like, uh, to just to kind of like to shift my own relationship to my experiences, to my struggles and my suffering. Um, and then wanting to kind of wanting to like help other people with that as well. Um, so my, my passion for this really comes from a very like personal, um, internal place. And it, it's really, it, I mean, I consider myself so grateful and I'm so blessed too, because I knew I always wanted to do this work. Like in, in high school, I like knew I wanted to study psychology. I knew I wanted to be a counselor. Like, um, and some days I'm just like, wow, like I'm doing it. Like it's, it's really exciting. Like it's happened. So. Wow, that's so interesting. And, you know, I love that. I do want to hear about the um, attachment wounds. And, um, you know, I think that all, like you said, all people on this path, as far as like healers go and anything, but that's trying to help others. I think that it starts from a really personal place from what I have, you know, my own personal research talking with people is like, that's what I've learned. And for me, myself, what I've come to realize is that I feel a pretty deep inner peace and happiness inside me that is pretty unwavering. It doesn't mean that it doesn't go that it doesn't go up and down sometimes, but that happiness and joy I feel on a pretty much daily basis, I have come to realize myself that if I can reflect that out, that changes the trajectory of so many other lives. And I think that when you go on that personal journey of really establishing your own kind of like inner happiness and peace, you realize, especially if you're on this path of being a healer, that's all you have to do. And then you get your, you know, your resources as far as like backing up with whatever type of things you want to study. And if you want certifications or go to school. And I think for me, that's what I've seen is just the predominant thing that happens when people are like, I'm a healer or I want to work in this field. They must first work on themselves. I totally agree. And I, I've come into contact or I've worked alongside even um, some people in this field who, I mean, it's, 
it seems pretty clear that like they haven't done their own work or or that there's some sort of resistance to their own work and um i i mean i fully believe that there's no way that we can take a client anywhere that we haven't at least sort of been ourselves um and so pers like doing our own work is crucial i'm a huge advocate for that and i love telling my clients that like i see a therapist too mm -hmm. and like I invest in my own healing too. And I make time for it because if I didn't, like I wouldn't be a very good therapist to you. So I, I fully believe in that. And I, I can't say enough about it. I fully agree. And I, you know, for me, I do, um, I do like vision meditations often. And so one of the things I do is I try to make it really visual for myself, especially if I'm going into something as far as like having a client call or anything of those lines. And one of the, my visions is I imagine myself kind of walking this really rough kind of rugged path right through the woods. And I imagine myself painting, painting it, like taking the time and putting the foundation in and doing the dirt and paving this path. And then I imagine my clients walking, you know, beside me in the path that's already paved. And that's kind of how I approach any way that I work with someone. And if I feel like I haven't paved that path yet, like I'm still foraging through the forest, I will oftentimes refer them to somebody else who I know have paved that path. And yeah. that's just kind of how I envision when I work with people and I check in with their energy and, you know, I do energy work. And it's just one of those things that, has been like in my like forefront when I, you know, do work with people is like, have I paid this path before? And so yeah. it's so interesting and going into that, talking about that attachment wound, I, I want to hear more about that and what you did maybe personally or what you do particularly um, when you work with people and, and doing that, that work. Yeah. Well, so, um, so I, it kind of, it changed the whole way that I, that I kind of work with clients. I mean, the way that I see myself too, like the, um, the compassion that I can have toward myself, but, um, viewing kind of just like viewing my, um, my, the clients that I serve and viewing myself through this, um, through this lens of like, so the idea with attachment wounding is that like, pretty much all of us, you know, like, I mean, our culture, our culture doesn't really support children, our culture doesn't really support parents raising children. Mm -hmm. um, and so pretty much all of us have, have experienced some kind of developmental or attachment wounding. Um, a lot of times, I even like to use the word trauma, which I know can be this huge triggering or like this huge, like scary word for people. Um, but I think it's accurate, even when we're talking about like developmental misattunement or attachment, um, like where we just don't have secure attachment um, to our caregivers for a variety of reasons. And it's, and it's not about blaming the parents because it all, it, it comes from somewhere before them and before them. And a lot of times it's things that are totally out of the parents control too. Um, but Essentially, the idea here is that, um, you know, we, to some extent, we all, we all have attachment wounding and we uh, carry these, these characteristics, right? Like if we, what we didn't receive from a primary caregiver that we needed, that every child needs, um, if we didn't receive that, we kind of carry that need into all the other relationships in our lives whether it's romantic or professional um, or a social relationship or a therapeutic relationship even. Um, and we, we reenact, like it's like we reenact these, these woundings, right? So a really, really easy example or like a really obvious example um, would be someone who had a parent who left the home early, like left the home when the person was very young. Um, so perhaps there's like themes of abandonment, um, uh, like mistrust, betrayal, things like that. Mm. Um, I think it's pretty easy to see um, where that shows up in other relationships, there's fears of abandonment, or the person might even like uh, act in such a way where they, they, they cause the other person to leave, right? Or like um, their actions then lead the other person to leaving the relationship or a variety of different reasons and maybe so proving that their theory or their feeling is yeah, true. exactly and and it gets yeah absolutely and it gets kind of it gets deeper than that too because it's like 
it, it, it's pretty radical, but it all comes back to actually protecting the initial attachment. Mm -hmm. So it's like, this is, so we, as children or as babies or as infants, we like end up almost turning on ourselves mm -hmm. because we need that attachment figure for survival. Even if the attachment is not secure, and even if it's a caregiver who really isn't meeting basic, basic needs, right? It's yeah. like the, the possibility of um, turning on that attachment figure, e even before we have any kind of working memory or any kind of conscious thought about this, it's like attachment theory says that we, <laughs> that we will do everything in our power to protect the attachment relationship. And in doing so, we turn on ourselves. And so we see this time and time again where people will often like as adults even like end up self-sabotaging yeah. or they'll finally find themselves in maybe like a healthy relationship and it, it just doesn't feel safe because it's what they're not used to. Perhaps they're used to, you know, feeling a certain lack of safety or chaos or mm -hmm. um, uncertainty. So all of that kind of speaks to different types of, um, all that speaks to attachment wounding in general. Um, but really, it all comes back to the early attachment relationship, which, um, which is kind of how I, while I, while I don't need to know every single detail, um, or even, even many details about my client's childhood, I mean, I, I, I love learning about their lives, um, but the truth is, is that, like, they're already showing up, like, they're yeah. already showing up with that wound, I don't need to hear all about it from when they were a kid, like, they're showing up with it right now, right here. And I love that perspective coming from a counselor because I, for me, a long time, for a long time, school of thought within therapy and counseling was take me back to all of your past shit, go through it, and we're just going to keep talking about it over and over and over again. And that was a school of thought. And it still is. I mean, there's still therapists that that's what they do. And you yeah. get the same therapist for 25 years literally talking about the same thing and I like to use this word called like micro traumas and like because I think you mentioned earlier about like not wanting to use the word trauma because it kind of promotes something that was really big so if, I think if we put into concepts of like a micro trauma like it's something that happens to us like a car breaking down like that's kind of traumatic if you're on the middle of like 95 which is here in Florida is like busy as hell and you're like car breaks down you got your kid like it's raining like that's kind of traumatic you know but it's not necessarily Absolutely. something that's going to play out in the, your whole life but it's kind of like a micro trauma for the week and if you don't kind of sit with it and handle it and say like ooh I didn't really feel safe that way like but I'm safe now then it you know it just kind of stacks up but this idea that like yeah, I don't need to know about every single detail and every trauma experience. I can literally look how you're living now and be able to identify this is where it came from. We don't need to talk about it. We need to know how we're going to move from it and better ways to help our like selves feel safe and secure on our own and mm -hmm. work through that attachment. And like, that's kind of my view too. When I work with people is like, I don't need to, I don't, I don't want to hear all your things unless you're like, unless you're needing to get it out. Like that's not the most productive way for me. It's my opinion. I don't know. Like, what do you think? I, I completely agree with you and, um, uh, completely agree with you. And I think that, um, there's, I think that there's like an assumption that, and People, I mean, I, I'm like more than happy to bear witness to and hold space for someone's story. Um, but I think there's an assumption that like the story has to be told, right? That like, yes. I mean, that in order for someone to move through it and heal through it. But the truth is oftentimes, depending on where the person is in their healing process, the telling of the story is, is re-traumatizing. Yes. The telling of the story is triggering. And so that, that doesn't help the person move through anything. It oftentimes can just kind of keep them stuck in the experience um, that, that happened initially. So some of the modalities that I'm trained in, like some of the um, specific like trauma-informed or trauma-focused ways that I'm trained um, are models that don't require the retelling of anything. Mm. Um, and I'm, and I just am so like, I, I'm so glad that that exists in the first place. Um, that's, this is that a is, new school of thought. Like I know, yeah. like I studied psychologies too. That was my bachelor's. And like, 
I know that this is a new school of thought that you do not have to tell your story to every single person. And I think as far as like, as that attachment wounding, like we do that as humans to help us feel connected to others is like, this is my trauma and you have the same one. Let's attach to that instead of let's grow from a different space. Let's connect from a different space. And that for me is like, you know, I remember reading about these things and being like, I don't know this, this, like this way doesn't seem productive. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so it's I, I I've seen it transform. I mean, I've just seen it transform a lot of the people that I uh, that I a lot of the clients I serve, a lot of the people that I just like know as coworkers, myself included. Um, I've seen these these types of these approaches to healing make a really big difference um, in in people's lives. Um, where, where it's just like telling the story over and over and over again, maybe sensitize the person to it possibly. Um, but I don't know that it really affects any real change, um, or shifts any, any real, like shifts any, any real, like, um, emotions or or traumas. Living in that instead of living from a place that is different. Cause you've got to, my whole thing, the big thing that I focus on is you know, identity and like, how are you identifying in what ways are you creating your identity? And Mm -hmm. it's like, if you're creating your identity from that space all the time, because that's how you're introducing yourself, that's how you're, um, whatever it may be, that's a really disempowering identity. Um, because you're telling people like, this is the worst of me and this is how I'm going to present myself and identify instead of saying this is the best like whatever it is that you do and creating like i think i feel like i there's um you know when you're first starting recovery um in any sense of the any sense of the way right i think that you we start out with like a base identity is what i like to say it's like like our baseline of what we identify with and then we get to build on that as you create new hobbies and new right because i think when you're in any sort of chemical addition especially attachment to anything you have this baseline identity but then if you can shift from that to a healthy let's say baseline identity people I think also get stuck there and they Mm -hmm. don't realize like this is just your baseline you get to build on this what are your new hobbies what are your new habits your thought patterns like build build on it and that's one of the things that I find with my work is like when you first start working with someone and they've, they've kind of moved through these things and they're building this really cool life. That's when those self-sabotaging moments come in that I Mm -hmm. see myself even of like, Oh, now I'm quote unquote bored. Yeah. Because now I don't feel excited, which excited and frightened are like the same thing. So it's like in your body, but like, we don't know that when we're first starting. And so you're like, I'm bored. I need to put excitement, AKA I'm going to put fear back in because that's what I've been. That's what has like got me to where I am is basing my life off. Of yeah. And I think that's, that whole shift is, is something that we're seeing, I think big time now with these new school of thoughts of new type of therapy and counseling and, and, and creating these shifts. I feel like we're seeing that of like, oh, it's okay to be bored. It's okay to do nothing. And I use bored very lightly, but it's just like, it's okay to sit and be and do nothing. There's nothing to do. And that, that kind of those moments are the best moments, but they're really hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, just this urge, the pressure, right? The pressure that we put on ourselves um, to be constantly doing something or to be constantly like out of our own experience. Mm-hmm. Like, there's there's a very big pressure, um, I think, just in our in our culture in general that just being um, is not enough. Yeah, I want to. So I want to come back to the attachment um, for children and. Like, I know that there's a lot of moms who listen to this. And so, and I just have a lot of moms in my audience. And I'm curious of when a child is experiencing that experience of a parent leaving or 
um, whatever kind of those experience where you're building those, I would say like not super healthy attachment. Um, how as a parent would you be able to work with that with your child and work through those moments in a really healthy, productive way? So they're not building these thought patterns and habits as they get older. Um, like, how would you say like people can kind of start to like, what would be a good road to start? Obviously you can't give a full, like, this is like a full <laughs> session, but like, what would be a good way to start to help with kids kind of going through these moments, even just on a day-to-day -day basis, like they lose their best friend, maybe their best friend moves away. Like those are pretty, I, I remember that as a kid. And I remember that being a little bit, you know, like traumatic, you know, these, these people feeling like we're being abandoned, whether it's real or, or, perceived whatever it may be right yeah yeah so kind of just like um just like we talked about earlier that uh as healers we have to do our own work to really be any good for anybody else um my first answer to your question is uh i would encourage i would encourage parent moms parents humans in general um mm -hmm. to do to to do the work that they feel called to do whatever that means right it doesn't have to be therapy um, I mean, I'm a little biased. I think that um, I, I think that like everybody could benefit from therapy as long as they have the right connection with, you know, with the clinician and everything like that. But like, just to add to that, keep going to different yeah. counselors, healers, whatever yes. you want until you find the connection. Do not say this doesn't work for me if you've only been to one because you got to have yes. it be like your best friend in a clinical setting, but you got to be like how comfortable you are with your best friend. If you go in there and you're all stiff and like, and you can't get comfortable, no wonder you don't want to be with them. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. I know. I mean, if you think about like, if you think about dating even, and you think about how many like bad dates on average someone's been on before they have a good date. I mean, it's just like, the, the fit is not always right. And I, yes, absolutely. I, I champion that as well. Like, please don't give up after the first try, after the first couple people that you might try. Cause sometimes finding the right fit takes a couple of tries, but it's, it's so worth it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the efforts, if you just think about the effort we put into like, you know, dating and stuff like that. And I mean, you're building a relationship there. Um, if you're working with a healer, that's a relationship too. And the relationship itself is such a vehicle for healing. Um, so I would say that, you know, especially with kids, especially if you're parenting children, um, because this is the thing, right? It's like all of this stuff is so subconscious, so under our radar that like, um, we're, we act out, like we act out these, un, these unhealed, these unresolved, these subconscious things, like we act them out on people in our life. Um, and it's, our children are not immune from that either. Like we're going to act out on those people in our lives too, without meaning to, without knowing it, um, without realizing it. So, uh, you know, my working definition of trauma right now is any, anything that um, changes my sense of safety in the world. Mm, um, I really like that definition. Yeah. So anything that like takes away or, or changes or jeopardizes my sense of safety in the world. And so, um, you know, I, I think that there's things that are so well-intended, you know, trying to cheer, trying to cheer your child up, right? Like, oh, like, don't cry. Don't be sad. Unfortunately, that in itself can be so invalidating mm -hmm. because sadness is, sadness is one of our feelings and our, all of our, you know, I, I don't believe that some feelings are good and some feelings are bad. I believe that all feelings are created equal and that it's all just information Feelings are part of how we communicate and understand our needs, right? So like, if I'm feeling sad, that means that I have, that there's a need there. And so if I'm being told, even if it's coming from, or even when it's coming from, the most loving place from someone who loves me the most to not feel the way I feel, there's an invalidation there because I'm being told that what I'm feeling is wrong, which is not true. Our feelings are never wrong. They're just feelings. Yes, exactly. And I think, you know, I know that, you know, I have a kid, right? And I, one of my favorite things to do is ask, like, not in that moment of whatever, if they're feeling sad or frustrated or whatever, like getting through that moment, like, it's okay. You're like, do whatever you got to do. If you got to punch a pillow or like whatever, however, we're going to work through it. But then afterwards asking like these, what questions, 
Um, like in what ways could you have felt safe in that moment? And then for me yeah. as a parent, it gives me context to say, or to hear her, like her out for her to say, I would have felt safer if this would have happened or yeah. I would have happened yeah. if this would have happened. And so in what way that, that use that term. I always tell people like, use those words. Um, when you're, when you're communicating with my, like my partner, I use the same in what way could I have made you felt more love in that moment? And yeah. those, that question, it opens the door to a powerful conversation. The problem I think is that you got to remember when you ask those questions, you're not here to judge. You're here to listen. Mm-hmm. And they're mm-hmm. not looking yep. for your response. They're not looking for your feedback they're they most of the time when you ask that question their full energy is just saying okay i this is what it is and i just need you to listen to me um so that's just one way that i that i i just love in what way and then just whatever you follow it up with it just is such a way to open the door yeah that's a i i love that you do that um and you know in my i I work with primarily with adults so um, I think, you know, the languaging um, needs to be different with kids and everything to make sure they understand. But I love that because what you're asking, you're asking for her to, you know, you're asking your daughter to identify her need. And I just, I think that is like, that is so important. And I wish that that was more deliberately taught. Like, I wish that that skill of like identifying our own needs was more deliberately taught in the mainstream because it's so important. How are we ever going to know what we need if we don't know how to like, if we don't know how to check in with ourselves and identify our feelings or what that feeling is communicating or what the unmet need might be? I mean, that's crucial. And I love, I said, I love that you, you know, kind of follow up or debrief with her uh, about like, you know, what could have made that experience safer for you? Yeah. Um, And I think, you know, working with adults, especially with, you know, chemical dependency and them working through that. We all know for the most part, for the most part, I would say like, I don't know a percentage, but I'm going to go almost a hundred percent that it is not them seeking this high from whatever drug that they're using. It is them seeking an unmet need, whatever that. Absolutely. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. And it's like, if you can get someone when they're like, Hey, I'm really, I'm ready to use, like, I want to use again. This is where I'm at. And you can that asking those questions and, and getting them to think you're not saying don't use, you do what you do want to do. Like there is nothing Mm -hmm. I can control what you are, but can I get you to look at what need is not being met? Is it love? Is it, you know, I mean, what is it? Is it, do you not feel safe? Are you feeling like this is the only way I'm going to feel safe in my body? Like what unmet need is it really? I mean, there might be a 1% out there that just really like getting high. And like that's, they have no unmet needs. Everything's being met, but I'm going to go with, that's probably not the majority. No, no, I, I no, I don't think so. Um, because it, it's, it's all, it's all heavily rooted in shame, you know, all of it. Like, and that may be, that may lay um, subcon- like any subconscious for a long time. Like it, it may not be conscious that shame is the root of all of this um, for certain, you know, depending on where someone is at the time. Um, I know for me, like I was very unaware of how much shame was running um, my life shame. And, keep, and keeping me small and all that stuff. But, but that's really, I mean, I, I really think that shame, um, shame is the, shame is the root of, of why we uh, do things to ourselves and to others. Um, that that is not based in love that is what I believe yes and you know I was just talking with a friend actually the other day about this and they were describing some sort of situation or something and I was like is are you are is the feeling coming up is it shame like what is the feeling and they were like oh my god and it was like the the feeling and the the problem the problem didn't seem like it was based in shame like it didn't yeah. seem like, like from a very surface level, it was just whatever it was, a surface level issue. And like, well, if you, if you can dig deeper, you know, what is it? Is it, are, are you feeling guilty? Are you feeling shame? Like, what is it? What is it? And coming to the conclusion, oh, wow, it's shame. 
then being able to like dive into that, which is where counseling and therapy and all things help because they can help you dive into these unconscious belief systems that are so ingrained that literally run your life. Your brain is on running on a program and that program runs your life until the day you decide you're going to change the program. And it's really hard to do that on your own. I mean, it's, I'm not, it's not impossible. People do it all the time, but I feel like you've got it. You take all these paths and detours, which you will, even if you work with someone, but you can kind of get a little bit more clearer guidance, not, not given to you. Cause I think that's a misconception too. You're not going to somebody so that they can tell you what to do. They're just showing you ways you can tell yourself what to do. That's my take. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, totally. I, you know, yeah. Um, I, I don't, I don't ever want to tell somebody, um, whether it's a client or a friend or my partner, I don't ever want to like tell somebody what they need to be doing or what they should be doing, um, ever. Because I mean that, like you just said, the whole, the whole, like really my approach is like, what is your relationship to what you are doing and what is your relationship to like, doing something differently. Right. So, Mm -hmm. um, I know, I know for me, uh, when I'm told what I should be doing or should not be doing, um, I'm pretty averse to that. Like, I don't (laughs) want, I don't want to be told that it doesn't really do, it doesn't go well for me. And sometimes I'll seek, you know, I'll seek guidance. I'll seek advice. I want someone's opinion. But as soon as it kind of shifts into like, you should be, I, I mean, I, I kind of, I feel my energy really like pull back and kind of shut down. I feel my whole energy constricts. Like every comes in like nope Mm-mm. right right it, it's all about coming from within you know um and I try not to take any sides um you know like you just kind of like you mentioned a couple minutes ago um even for somebody who is you know kind of considering using again or um, is about to use uh you know I, I really try to stay neutral and not even take this side I mean of course I'm going to support somebody in choosing um, healthy decisions and, and mm-hmm. you know supporting their sobriety and their recovery of course but like I try not to even take sides because taking I mean this is the thing is like then you're what shame you're in placing shame absolutely you're, there's a different choice absolutely yeah there's there's the message if I'm if I'm choosing one side for somebody or if I'm siding with one side then the un the like <laughs> the implicit message, the unstated thing is that I'm against the other side, which I'm not. I have so much compassion for my own and for others' um, strategies that have kept them alive so far, right? Like the things that, the things that are like, yes, at some point they become like, they don't serve us anymore. They become problems in themselves. But at one point or for an entire lifespan, like these are some things that have kept people really safe. These are the things that have actually allowed them to like move through the world, function in the world, um, that have allowed them to navigate these attachment wounds that they live with every day. Um, so I try to have a lot of compassion um, for the strategies and for the things that mm-hmm. um, may no longer be serving the person, but are the things that like feel feel like safety, even if they're not so safe. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And I, I, I try to do the same thing. And, you know, they're like, well, isn't that bad? I'm like, I don't know. Like, when you lay down at the end of the day, do you feel bad about it? I don't know what you feel like. There are right. so many ways to live a life. So what I feel yeah. about when I lay down at the, middle, at the end of the day isn't gonna what you know, like I could feel bad because I left a piece of toast in the toaster and I had to throw it away because it got moldy. Like they're like, they're really like, there are so many things and faucets while others could have just like tossed it and went on their day. Like, so it's for me, I'm like, can you lay down at the end of the day and you feel really good about your choices and decisions? Like if that's okay, then you're on the right path. Like it, it's not up to anybody else, but you at the end of the day, do you feel good in your own body? Do you feel safe? Do you feel secure? Can you find joy? And these are, if you lay down and you say yes, then it's just improving on those things. It's not about drastic changes as well. I think when people shift, I know, and I think that coming back to this attachment, when people shift away from this, I know oftentimes 
you know, for myself and for others that I've seen is that they actually see it didn't take that much. It didn't take these like massive life overhauls. It was these very minor shifts that they made, which made the biggest impact. And, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously like you can look from point A to point Z and there's going to be this massive transformation, but in between there's just all these little micro changes that really, really, really are the ones that like, um, what do they call like the compound effect where it just compounds into the massive transformation. And, you know, I think when people are working through these attachment wounds, they try to think of like, you know, point Z and you're like, don't go that far. Like have a goal, have an intention, but what are you going to do tomorrow? Yeah. Or what are you even doing in this moment? I, I like to remind like the clients that I serve, like, I really love to remind them that like, let's like let's slow down for a second like what are you doing where are you right now and so when I'm at the residential um, treatment center with like these men who are voluntarily for the most part voluntarily choosing to be living in an inpatient setting because you know they're that dedicated to their recovery and they're you know working on their sobriety like they're away from their families they don't have access to like these things that we all just take for granted every day like our phones and computers and things like that like um you know like what are you what are you doing right now like look at what you're doing in this moment okay yes like uh, you know three months from now I understand it's important that you know we at least address like what what will you be doing three months from now but like take a moment and consider like what you're already doing um like what is in this yeah in this moment like this isn't random you're, you're not just randomly here like you chose to come here you like maybe you got on a plane to come here like maybe you had to set up um you know you had to like figure out your put your job on hold or you know you you had to leave your child or children or family for like three to four months or more I mean like it's it's a big thing to um invest so much in your own self and then you know even for the clients I see in, in my own private practice it's like that's a big deal too you know you had you had to figure out how you know you were either going to get childcare for yourself so you could come here for the hour you had to plan ahead so you could leave work at a certain time and drive here and um i also you know i also am getting into working with um like more of like a telehealth kind of like uh, mobile counseling too to make it more convenient for people um so they don't have to leave their homes or they can do it on their lunch break or whatever um but even that i mean it requires a certain amount of effort and planning and like it's not random like and so this is a really crucial piece in, in the healing of the attachment wounding that I have found and that I've been trained in is that like, mm-hmm. um, rem- like helping someone identify their own sense of agency. So their own sense of <laughs> ability and responsibility. Um, and like, because that is huge. Like as children, we didn't have a whole lot of agency. Um, you know, we didn't have a whole lot of control over what um we got to what we did every day or you know what happened to us or you know the way we were kind of who we were around but like as as adults um we actually there's there's so many unrealized sources of agency that um once we start focusing on can really help shift the way that we relate to our experiences and then the flip side of that is like all of the things Um, so I'll just use myself as an example, you know, if I start looking at my choices through a sense of agency, like if I start really looking at like, here's what I'm doing, here's my role in what I'm doing, then I can even see the things that are like really getting in my way. Like, Mm -hmm. okay, well I'm actively choosing that. Like, and this is how, right? Like, like I just wasted it and you know, like, okay. So if I'm like, there's not enough time in the day for all the things, but then I catch myself, you know, scrolling through Instagram for an hour and I'm like, okay, well I just, I just chose to waste an hour, you know, and I don't shame myself for that, or at least I try my best not to, um, but I use that as helpful information, and I'm like, all right, so I say that I don't have enough time, and yet here I am getting in my own way. Um, it's, it, it's one of those things that really helps me kind of like take my own power back, um, and I see that working to my clients as well, focusing on their agency. Yeah, I really like that, and it, you know, it's just shifting. <laughs> it's just like shifting from that like victim everything is happening to me to saying what choices am I making 
to have those things line up because there are random occurrences in life, right? That will put you in a weird space, but most of the time it's choices leading up and then feeling like a victim because you made those choices. And that just taking back the power and using, I like to say like, use your life as an experiment. This isn't like, you're just experimenting. Everybody's just experimenting of what it is that makes them happy. And, you know, I I was having a conversation with someone and they were talking about um, hobbies or, you know, and like, I don't really, they're like, I don't have any hobbies. I don't even know what makes me happy. And they were getting really frustrated and angry because they didn't have. And I was like, well, then why don't you just go on an experiment to find joy? Like, why don't you just say, hey, the next three months, I'm going to have this experiment and like, do it like a research, like a full on research experiment. And you write down, like, I tried this. It made me feel these feelings. It brought up these things. I worked through this and like, use yourself as, you know, like a, a test person or whatever, how you would, if you went to like any sort of research facility and just say, I'm just an experiment with finding joy. I'm going to experiment with making money. I'm going to experiment with getting sober. I'm going to experiment. And I think if, if for me, when I phrase it like that and phrase yeah. something differently, take myself out of victim and just phrase it as I have the power to use myself as an experiment. And I have, also have the power to say that didn't work in this experiment. This experiment did not go well. So like, yeah, where, where were the holes in this? Where were the you know, misleading information, what, what could I research better? Like, and looking back at that, like you said, it just puts that, that sense of agency and saying like, Hey, like you're in charge, you are in control. Yeah, exactly. And I think too, that allows, that allows us to just like approach it without being attached to an outcome. You know, it'd be great if the first hobby that I tried was my thing. But, you know, attaching myself to that outcome, I kind of set myself up for disappointment or or using a term, you know, even as strong as like I failed or failure. If I'm kind of like setting myself up for this thing with an expectation at the end. Um, so I love that. I love just like entering into it with curiosity with inquiry yeah and not being like it's trying right it's, it's kind of hard not to but really really trying or having an intention of non-attachment to it that like this may or may not even work but it, this is just one thing I'm gonna try and see and if it doesn't then that's just information and so like I, I want to like as we kind of like flow into the end here and like wrap this up if people like they're like resonating with this and they're like, whoa, like I'm seeing myself in some of these conversations right now. And I'm seeing myself kind of working through these attachment wounds. And I'm seeing myself kind of like in that zone of not feeling super empowered and feeling kind of um, like I am a victim to these circumstances. And, um, you know, even coming back to, oh, I have childhood trauma and things that happened and this is the way I am what is that first step? And like, you know, maybe they can't reach out to a counselor or a healer or anything like that. Like, what is the first step that they can take on their own to start working through these things and to like, start to kind of see themselves? Because I know as humans, we need to see like measurable outcomes in order to keep going. Otherwise, it's really, really difficult. Um, Mm -hmm. Just the way our brain works, like we're just made that way. Like we don't see an outcome we, whether it's good or bad, it doesn't matter or however you label it, we, it's hard for us to keep going. So like, how can people, or what can they do to kind of like, if they start to see these patterns, like what can they do to start to like step out? Like, what is it? Is there anything that you, I mean, there's no like blanket, whatever, but if there was something that you could give, you know, to the audience and be like, this is, this is a really good place to start. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's a great question, first of all. And I, I think something as seemingly simple as identifying what am I feeling? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's no, there is no shame in looking up a feelings chart or a feelings wheel or just a list of feelings um, because 
like we talked about earlier already, it's like we're not really taught this in a direct way um, in the mainstream here. So just checking in, what am I feeling? First of all, like just naming that feeling. And then, you know, what do I need here? Kind of like you do with your daughter. Um, you may, you know, you may, this, you may or may not be able to meet that need for yourself. Um, and if it's a need from someone else, they may or may not be able or willing to meet that need um, for you. However, there is agency and power mm -hmm. and um, in, in identifying a feeling and a need um, and then doing what is within one's ability to ask for that need or to meet the need themselves. Again, no guarantee that it's possible. There's no guarantee that like my partner is going to be able to meet my need every single time I express my need. But there's, but there's something really important about identifying and expressing the need in the first place, even if it remains unmet. So I would say just, you know, start, first of all, starting from where you're at, right? So like, yes, just cultivating a sense of just compa compassion or gentleness for oneself that like, mm -hmm. this is where I am. This may not be where I want to end up. This may, this may feel awful. But this is just where I'm at right now today. Um, and just identifying what that, what that feeling is in the moment um, and what perhaps that per what they may need in that moment. Um, yeah, that's so funny. I literally have an emotion wheel on my desktop. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I, I love it. <laughs> yeah. That is like, seriously, because the what happens is like you identify an emotion and like I'll just like, you know, I have an emotion wheel and like one of them, you know, one of those words is like enchanted. And I'm like, yeah, but where does mm. it lead to? I'm not even sure what that means. And like, so, you know, or like hurt, depressed, sorrow, and like, and then kind of like zooming into that middle part of saying like, this is fear. Yeah. Or yeah. whatever it is, you know? And so yeah. I literally have an emotion wheel on my desktop that I have to pull up for myself so that yeah. I know when I'm feeling a feeling that feels like kind of vague. Because I think that's the thing is like, most of the time you feel something, whatever, somebody cuts you off, you know, and you're like, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm frustrated, I'm angry, I'm pissed, whatever. And I'm like, but is, was it that, that person cutting you off? Or is there, is it the feeling? And then you can, that feeling was attached to something, you know, a couple weeks. Yeah. yeah. Or years or decades. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's that sense of, perhaps that sense of just being wronged or mistreated or unseen, right? Like, yeah. I feel super unseen when I'm cut off. It's like, I'm right here. Like, can't you see me? Um, so I know for me that, that, that goes way back, you know, um, and, and also too, like modeling that, so just modeling, like the checking in with oneself about one's feelings, one's needs, you know, so like modeling that for, for, for your children or for the people that you care about, or, um, you know, just kind of modeling that behavior too, because I truly believe that like, when we work on feeling ourselves, um, there's a, I mean, there's, there's just, there's a ripple. There's going to be a ripple effect to the others in our lives. Yeah. I'm all about the ripple effect. And that's, you know, one reason why I started this podcast is like, how do I feel when I have these conversations and can I ripple that out to, you know, people who listen, can they yeah. feel the same feeling that I feel of these like insightful moments and these really cool conversations. And, you know, if I'm feeling happy, if I'm working on myself, if I'm doing the work, I'm rippling it out to other people and it gives people permission, which yeah. I think is just a really big thing that we, we don't give ourselves permission. And you talked about that with the agency of like, you don't exactly how much you really are in control of and how much is possible for you. And so if you can just give yourself permission to be, do, have whatever it is that you want, mm -hmm. regardless mm -hmm. of whatever it comes to you, or if it's material or a person or whatever, regardless if it comes to you, giving yourself that permission, you open the door. And you said it, you, you just said it exactly the way that I, um, I think it should be said and the way that it is, is like, it's not so much about being given permission, it's about giving ourselves the permission. Like that's where the agency is. And so even for the car that I have no control over cutting me off, right? Like someone else is driving, some, another car, cuts me off. I have no control over their choice to like pull out right in front of me. What I, what I am in control over is how do I, re how do I relate to that experience? Right. Mm. Do I, do I allow myself 
to, uh, do I allow myself to slip into this place of like, um, frustration, anger, resentment, uh, fear, pain, hurt for the rest of the day? Or do I allow myself to just kind of let it be what it is, which is just someone I don't even, I don't even know them. I have no idea what's happening in their life. Um, do I wish to allow this to ruin my day? I do not know. I do not wish to allow this to ruin my day. And so I have, I have agency there and I choose to express my agency in that moment. Um, the car, someone has cut me off and it's, it's within my control about how I can relate to that experience. Mm, I love that. Um, I love that. I feel like this conversation was so good and I'm so excited to share it. Um, just wrapping up, is there anywhere where anybody can find you? If they want to hear more about you, do you have anywhere, um, that I don't know, are you like active on LinkedIn or anything like that? Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, yeah, so I'm actually in the middle of um, kind of redoing my whole website. So that is not uh, live at the moment. Um, but um, the best way to reach me right this moment is through my email. It is um, Jackie's Therapy Room. So J-A-C-K-I-E-S-T-H-E-R-A-P-Y-R-O-O-M at gmail.com. Um, and then uh, soon here, I hope I'm putting it out there, the intention, um, website will be up and running and beautiful and amazing. Um, and that website address, um, so my, my private practice is called Wide Awake Living. Um, and uh, the website would be wideawakecounseling.com. So it's coming. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited to see it. I want to go and check it out. Um, thank you so much for coming on here. I really appreciate it. This conversation was awesome. There is some major, major, like just nuggets of like super power charged wisdom. And as always, if you're listening to this, please go comment, leave reviews. Like we want to hear your thoughts on this. You can email either one of us as always info at sarahprofit.com. And like, I want to hear your thoughts and views on this. And if you're working through someone or you had some like major aha moments, those are my best to hear. When you hear something, even if you've heard it for 400 times, you finally hear it and it shifts something in you. Those are my favorite messages to get, my favorite emails to get. Like, I just, I love hearing about people's experiences and their like little aha moments that may have, you know, just shifted and changed an entire way of living from just a few sentences. So um, yeah, thank you for joining us. And um, we look forward for looking all of your stuff, Jackie. <laughs> Thanks, Sarah. I really appreciate being here with you. Thank you for tuning in this week. I hope to hear your thoughts, revelations, or anything that you'd like to share with us. You can put it in the review section of wherever you're listening, or you can come check us out at The Healer's Couch on Instagram.